Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm Tom Gilson. Today we are pleased to bring you a conversation between In the Market radio host Janet Parshall and Center for Science and Culture senior fellow Jonathan Witt, co-author of the new book Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. Witt and Parshall discuss Heretic and a recent scholarly study claiming to show that greater science education and science literacy encourages acceptance of evolution. Witt highlights what he sees as some glaring problems, both in the survey at the heart of the study and in the way Darwinian evolution is normally taught. We're going to spend some time with Dr. Jonathan Witt, who is a senior fellow with the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture located in Seattle, Washington. He's also written the book called Heretic, absolutely fabulous book. I've had the opportunity to speak just a little bit with Jonathan about this, but I strongly recommend it to you because it's a fascinating dialogue uh, on this particular subject. In fact, it's the story of one scientist and how he moves from the idea of subscribing to Darwin's worldview to moving closer to this concept of intelligent design. It's an absolutely fascinating read if you're interested in this topic at all. But Jonathan, you brought to my attention a fascinating piece that showed up in Bioscience that basically says there was a survey done, and it sounds like overwhelmingly those who participated in the survey think that the more you know about evolution, the more you're likely to accept it. And you say, just a minute, talk to me about this. Hey, Janet, great to be on your show. Yeah, the the survey, if, if you just take, of course, they, they did the survey, and it's you know, supposedly a very scientific, carefully put-together survey, and then they reported on it in bioscience. But then I brought to it my expertise in language and looking for slant and that kind of thing and immediately saw some serious problems with the way they had framed a lot of the questions. So what they're doing is they're asking a lot of people about their knowledge of evolution, their attitudes about science, authority, etc., and then they're looking for correlations. And they say, well, what we find is those people that had more education in biology and evolution were much more likely to accept evolution, and then they, they found some other correlations, too, that they think were telling. But I was a little suspicious because... I've known scientists that when they learned more about evolution, some of the weaknesses in it, they became more suspicious of it, became more doubtful of it. And then as I got into looking at the survey questions, I got even more skeptical of the survey uh, because there was some slant, there were some missing options in some of the multiple choice. So so that's what I wrote about in, in that article at Evolution News. Wow. Okay, so if the fact of the matter is that you dispute the finding, why is there the perception then that somehow the more knowledge one has, the more one is likely to subscribe to this worldview? Well, there are probably, you know, a lot of tropes, a lot of a lot of imagery. You know, we have the old Scopes monkey trial depiction. We got an inherit the wind that had all the bumpkins being for creationism and the, the wise, brilliant lawyer who was arguing for evolution, which... There was a Pulitzer Prize-winning book called Summer for the Gods, and, and the, the guy that wrote it isn't even a, an intelligent design guy, but he exploded that whole Inherit the Wind story as just, you know, Hollywood fabrication. And so they've been, and then, of course, the Darwinists have been peddling those kinds of of simplistic uh, pictures ever since. So, But it, when you dig into it and you start start looking, you start finding people like my co-author for Heretic, who's this highly accomplished finished bioscientist he 
was tutored in Darwinism as a, an undergraduate, a graduate student. He accepted it wholesale, but then when somebody challenged him and he finally decided to take his blinders off and look at it ob- objectively, it's when he started to learn more mm-hmm. about evolution that he became skeptical. So guys like uh, Marty Lesola, they don't fit the stereotype that the evolutionists want to uh, want to peddle, want to get us to swallow. Wow, that, that's a fascinating observation on your part, and I think you raised some deeper questions. And that is, I'm wondering if it really is a kind of, and I use the word judiciously, but I do think it's apropos, there's a kind of dogma here. You, it's blind faith. You accept it simply because you get the impression that it happens to be the predominant idea in the scientific community. And to think otherwise puts you upstream and outside the main and possibly at ridicule, or worse, losing your job, don't get tenure, don't get published, as you and I have talked about over the years. But then when you get someone who's willing to stop, like your co-author in Heretic, and say, wait, just the facts, as Adam said, facts are stubborn things, just the facts, let's simply review the facts, and you let the evidence lead where it will take you, isn't it amazing how suddenly the dogma is dropped and objective reality steps in? Will we see more? This is, again, a $50 million question, and I don't know that we can ever get a definitive answer, but I think it's worth asking. If we could get more people like your co-author and heretic, do you think we would see a seismic shift within the science community to move from doc, doc, dogma to reality? I think you're always going to have a subgroup of scientists, of intellectuals, that are going to peddle some materialistic philosophy. I mean, it goes back as far as the Epicureans, you know, back in the, among yep. the ancient Greeks. But we might get to a point where it was no longer the official, uh, you must accept this to be a you know rational member of humanity paradigm that Darwinism is now. That's what we want to reach. We, we don't expect to get to a point where there aren't anybody trying to use science or misuse science to propagate a materialistic, atheistic worldview. We want to get to the point where it is not the official paradigm that that chokes off contrary evidence and that limits debate and discussion. I think we can get there. And, and, and every time we get somebody brave, a scientist like Mahdi Lesala, uh, and there are others, we, we have a new fellow at the Discovery Institute, uh, German paleontologist, has a great story. He also crossed over from Darwin to design. So the more guys we get like that, the more we get their stories out there, the more I think there's a chance for that tipping point to occur in our lifetime. Well, you you put something out there, and I want to dig deeper. Talk to me about this paleontologist. What's his story? Yeah, Gunter Bechley. He is a highly distinguished, highly celebrated paleontologist. He focuses on dragonflies. He's To give you a sense of how reputable and distinguished he is, he's had other paleontologists name species after him, name, mm-hmm. and then up beyond the level of species that they've like discovered whole new, I can't remember if it's family or order, and they name it after this guy. And he's discovered many species and uh, just done some amazing things. He, he, he was uh, a, a ran a big section of the one of the most prominent, prestigious natural history museums in Europe. He An interesting thing is once he came out, uh, he said he, he made the mistake. They were doing a 150th anniversary uh, of Darwin celebration. He was a full-on Darwinist, of course. And so, oh, I'll, make a, I'll create a, a scale, and I'll put Darwin's famous book, uh, the Origin of Species on one side, and I'll put these silly ID books, you know, by Michael Behe and some of Stephen Mines on the other, and I'll show <laughs> Darwin's book outweighing the others. And a friend said, that, that's a neat display. That, that makes a funny joke. But, you know, you're going to get asked questions by the media, so maybe you should read those those other books just to be ready. And he did. And he said, well, that was a mistake because when I read them, I, I realized that all the ways that their arguments had been presented in the media 
they'd been misrepresented. Their arguments were much more sophisticated, much more cogent, much more persuasive, and that started a journey for him, just like with my colleague Mati Lesala, though Mati's was, was many years before, started a journey that led him away from Darwinism and ultimately to embracing intelligent design. Uh, and then when he came out public with that, some some uh, the Americans who uh, were over, well, the English language folks that were oversaw his Wikipedia page, they decided to remove his Wikipedia page. It was like, you know, something mm. out of George Orwell's 1984. He's, a, he's an unperson now. So as, as famous <laughs> as he is, as distinguished as he is, he doesn't rank a w- English Wikipedia page because he, he broke with Darwinism. <laughs> you have to laugh because it really is a modern-day witch hunt, which is paradoxical, is it not? Is science not yeah. about exploration? Is science not about saying we sift and weigh and we truly, and I'm going to repeat myself here, but we let the evidence lead to the conclusion, not start with a predetermined conclusion and work backwards. That's the antithesis of the scientific method. So I find it interesting that in all other areas of science, we're supposed to be as explorative as we possibly can be, except this one, and then we have that experience where you're shunned, where the candles are turned upside down and snuffed out and you're excommunicated from the scientific community. Again, this is more right. philosophical than a scientific question, Jonathan, but why is that? Why is this such a hot topic? Why are you not allowed to be able to be set free to say, I'm sorry, but I dispute the outcome of the evidence. I think it leads here as opposed to here. Well, I think two reasons. One is it would apply to almost any scientific theory that has become the dominant one. You know, Thomas Kuhn, in his, his famous book, The Structure of Scientific Revolution, said when you have a scientific paradigm that scientists have dedicated their whole career to, they're not going to just go lightly, you know, go gently into the night if another paradigm comes <laughs> along and, and unseats it. They're going to fight for that. Now, add to that, we're de- with Darwinism, we're dealing with a theory that Richard Dawkins, you know, the famous atheist biologist, said that Darwinism made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. So you're, you're also dealing with a worldview issue. So you combine that, that natural tendency of scientists to cling to a paradigm they've spent decades investing in, and you combine with that that it supports a worldview, materialism, you're going to get fierce, fierce commitment to it, dogmatic commitment to, to fighting for it and trying to shut down discussion, debate, criticism. Wow. What a time to be in your world, Jonathan. How fascinating. Let me take a break. But before I do, can I strongly recommend to you the book Heretic? We were just talking about that. This was fascinating. Go back to my past programs page at InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org and hear the conversation Jonathan and I had about this. Again, it's called Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. And you heard him reference Maddie, by the way. This is a bioengineer who now has gone from being an ardent subscriber to Darwinism now to saying... There's too much order and purpose. I'm moving toward intelligent design. I've got more to talk about with Jonathan. In the meantime, I do want you to check out that book. Jonathan also has authored Intelligent Design Uncensored. And with Bill Dembski, he wrote A Meaningful World. And he did that with Ben Wicker. We're going to take a break and be right back.
We're visiting with Dr. Jonathan Witt, who is Senior Fellow with the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. Absolutely fabulous, 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 brilliant minds. And I want you again to read Heretic. It is a fabulous conversation if you're at all interested in this subject. So, Jonathan, I'm going to do some kind of really rudimentary questions here because I think it's all important. And that is um, the worship leader and Christian songwriter Joel Houston with Hillsong made the news last week when he defended evolution and the Big Bang Theory. And uh, he sent out a bunch of tweets and he said, evolution is undeniable, created by God as a reflective means of displaying nature's pattern of renewal and pursuance of God's word and owed to the nature of the creative God it reflects and only ever in part, not the source. And then he said, science and faith are not at odds. God created the Big Bang. Now, push that over to the table for a moment and let me go back to intelligent design. You and I talk about it, and I I hope that I have a complete and total understanding of what you mean when you reference intelligent design. But I bet there are people listening all across the country right now going, well, what is that? What is ID? So give me a working definition for friends who don't know. Yeah, here's the quick elevator version. Uh, Intelligent design (laughs) is the theory that certain, certain features of the natural world, you might say certain patterns, are best explained by reference to an intelligent cause rather than to a purely natural mechanism such as Darwinian evolution. So that could apply to the origin of the first living cell. It could apply to, you look at what's what physicists refer to as the fine-tuning problem, that all the different constants of physics and chemistry look like they've been fine-tuned to allow for life to exist in the universe. Intelligent design says, you know what, let's go in and see, is intelligent design a better explanation for that fine-tuning? In that case, we say, yes, it is a better explanation. The materialist scientist says, well, we, we can't even consider intelligent design as right. an option. This guy mentioned the Big Bang. You know, the Big Bang was, is actually the biggest headache for atheists. And, and one of their greatest success stories is pretending that it's somehow a discovery that's in their favor. Oh, well, the Big Bang, that, that phrase was, was invented by Fred Hoyle as a dismissive phrase because he was an atheist. He didn't like the idea that evidence suggested that the universe had a beginning. He, he wanted to believe, along with a lot of fellow scientists, that the universe was eternal. Then you don't need a creator. Well, they discovered, you know, Hubble and some others discovered, nope, the universe had a beginning. So Fred Hoyle called that Big Bang. Then eventually the atheists went to work and tried to, to co-opt the idea of a Big Bang as if, as if it's somehow a discovery in their favor. All, all, all that is in a nutshell, is the universe had a beginning. It wasn't eternal. And, of course, you read Genesis 1-1, and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Yes. So, that's right. so the Big Bang, depending on how you cash it out, that, that, that's a big plus in the ID pro-theism. Pro now, that, that singer, he, he seems like he's conflating some things and, and probably isn't aware that evolution can mean you know a dozen different things. I would love to, you know, sit down and have coffee with him and just talk with him and maybe unpack some of that stuff with him. Yeah, that's why I like talking to you, Jonathan. You do such a great job. So let me go back to this idea, this flawed survey that was probably loaded with preconceived notions that the more you know about evolution, the more you're likely to subscribe to it. So you've used an interesting phrase. You talk about the Goldilocks zone, and this has to do with evolution in schools. Talk to me about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm using that playfully. You know, we talk about the Goldilocks zone in fine-tuning. You know, like the Earth is just at the right Goldilocks zone from the sun. It's not too close. It's not too far away. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. I used it in a humorous sense that evolutionists, they 
they want kids to learn a little about evolution. They, they want them to learn the positive evidence that seems to, to help support evolution, but they don't want them to learn uh, some of the powerful evidence against it. And so that would be too hot. That would be Papa Bear porridge. And so I go through and give some <laughs> examples of things they do not want you to learn about. They will fight tooth and nail. When I was in Austin testifying before the state school board, the Darwinists were trying to strip out some language that encouraged biology teachers to teach about, for instance, the fact that the fossil record has a pattern of abrupt appearance. You know, new animal forms will just abruptly appear in the fossil record. They, they don't seem to evolve gradually in the fossil record. There's boom, they're there. Well, these Darwinists did not want that taught to biology students in high schools because that would confuse those poor little minds and, and make them maybe doubt evolution. And evolution is a fact. You know, that, that was their mindset. Uh, it was just amazing. Wow. All right. So uh, let me ask you something else, because this piece was uh, very, very interesting. Is there, in fact, I'm going to guess no, based on what you just said. But those who purport to believe in the ideas that Charles Darwin advanced say that they believe there is a general consensus uh, and that evolution really is the superglue that kind of holds it all together. You don't agree with that. Tell me why. Oh, yeah. There's not a, you know, they'll often say, oh, there's consensus. All scientists are all reputable scientists. Well, I know many reputable scientists that doubt Darwinism. Now, some of them won't come out of the closet. Some of them will be very coy about it. Others will be. Is Darwinism currently the, the dominant or predominant paradigm in biology? Of course it is. But to say there's a consensus suggests that there aren't high-level, thoughtful, well-educated doubters of it. And that's just not the case. We have people with, you know, Michael B. at Lehigh University. We have the paleontologist we just discussed. We have my co-author, Mari Lesala. There's uh, hundreds of people that have signed a dissent from Darwin list. And this is, by the way, in the face of a lot of persecution that, that scientists will often get when they mm-hmm. come out against Darwin. So imagine if they're getting that much persecution, how many how many more are, are in the closet, so to speak. So, you know, and, and Incidentally, you don't appeal to a consensus when you've got the evidence. Can you imagine supporting exactly. the case for a round earth with an appeal to consensus? No, you would you would trot out the powerful evidence and, and you wouldn't worry about talking about consensus. That's excellent point. So one last question. This whole idea of intelligent design has landed itself in the cover of Time magazine. President Bush was even asked in a press conference whether or not ideas that bring up some of the problems with evolution should be taught in a public classroom. That was a few years ago. Are we making any progress, Jonathan? I think you are because of these, these conversion stories with guys like, uh, you know, the, the German paleontologist I mentioned. I mean, those are big, big stories, and they don't want you to hear about them. So that's why, why he gets stripped out of Wikipedia. But that, that's evidence we're making big progress. I couldn't agree more. And when you are gracious enough to come and spend time with us, your message goes out all across the country. So think, folks, think. Jonathan, thank you so, so much. Jonathan is Senior Fellow at Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. He is also the co-author of Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design, an absolutely riveting read because these conversions, and Jonathan used the right word, are happening in the scientific community. And these are stories worth studying, by the way. So go to InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Click on the box that says Program Details and Audio. It'll take you to the information page, and you'll learn more, and you'll be linked over to the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. I thank you so much, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall. This program is a presentation of Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. 
For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.